أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم uh, Session number 23 of stages of أخلاق in the Quran We, um, there were a couple more discussions in the Zuhd section um, of the book but after going through them I felt that some parts weren't very very relevant to Zuhd and maybe some parts were a little repetitive of what we've already covered so I thought that we would move on to the next chapter which is uh, the chapter of it's called Riyadah so we have this uh, word in Farsi we probably have it in Urdu too Riyazat uh, which means uh, to train yourself or some will refer to it as asceticism um, yeah but in reality even today like uh, when you're watching uh, Arabic sports channels, those are channels of riyada, uh, they call it, uh, which means yeah, to train, and and things like that. So, um, here in this chapter, it's not a long one. I think we're gonna be able to finish it up today. In this chapter, it talks about how practically a person has to train themselves when it comes to. Um, these matters of spirituality it's not just something that you read up on and learn about now it's cool because this chapter is coming right after the Zuhd chapter and I said certain things in the Zuhd chapter now I find him speaking of them here these two are very strongly intertwined with each other Zuhd and um, and Riyadha uh, so he begins he begins with that famous line of Nahj al-Balagha it's one of my favorites of Imam Ali, uh, this is in his letter 45, um, where he says, وَإِنَّمَا هِيَ نَفْسِي أَرُودُهَا بِالتَّقْوَىٰ أَرُودُهَا is, shares the same root as riyadah, which means to train, to put through um, some form of hardship and to get a, a result, you know, to get, when people train, they're doing that to get a result uh, and the result is worth it. So he says that uh, this is my nafs, my nafs. Well, how do you train your nafs? So in this letter, he's, it's actually a letter he's writing to um, a person by the name of Uthman bin Hunayf, which from what I remember, Uthman bin Hunayf was the governor of Basra, and he's the one that was tortured by uh, the ones who went from Medina to Basra in the Battle of Jamal. He was tortured by um, those heads of the army of the camel and they plucked out all of his facial hair the hair on his head and all the hair that was on his face and head and they plucked it all out they didn't kill him from what I remember they, uh, I read that they didn't kill him because his brother was the governor of Medina um, and so they were afraid that if they kill him that the ones that are that the governor in Medina who is his brother is going to retaliate and kill some of their relatives in Medina but they tortured him Uthman bin Hunayf now I say this because it shows that he's such a good companion of Imam Ali right but uh, here in this letter this is a cool letter it's, it's one to read and every time anytime a person feels like they're a little too entrenched in the dunya it's not a bad idea to read to read this letter because this letter Imam Ali wrote it to him as his governor over the people of Basra and he's scolding him 
and taking some subtle and not so subtle shots at Uthman bin Hunayf. Why? Because he attended a lavish gathering or something. And Imam Ali is like, no. Especially, one, one thing we find is that Imam Ali is very strict when he's the at the head of the state. And those who are representing him as governors in different um, parts of the Muslim uh, world. So he's very, very strict, especially then. You might not find him as strict when he's not the Khalifa, but when he is Khalifa, it's going to be a problem for him. So anyway, this letter is a, is a cool letter to read. But one part of it is this. He says, I shall so train my nafs that it will feel joyful if it gets a piece of bread. So I'm going to go so hard on myself. Now, uh, we will get to a part where Imam Ali does let us off the hook. Okay, So these parts that I'm reading right now are a little hard for us to carry out. But Imam Ali is speaking about himself here. He says, I'm going to train my nafs so much that it will feel joyful if it gets its hands on a piece of bread for eating and be content with salt, milh, as its seasoning. Now, here the translation says seasoning, but the Arabic says ma'duman, right? Which I would say translates to salin, okay? What would be the English for salin? Uh, yeah, well, not... You know, the the the, uh, the meat stuff that you have next to your bread. So he, Imam Ali is talking about bread, and then he's talking about the... Uh, stew yeah the stew that he would be he would have and he calls it the he says salt is going to be my stew so none of us really take salt as our stew but imam ali says that's how i'm going to train my nafs so it's going to be happy for bread and salt as its stew what i'm going to dip that bread into that means the bread itself is kind of like tasteless that you're going to be happy to be able to just dip it a little bit into some salt to give it some flavor I guess that's why they translated it to seasoning. I shall let my eyes empty themselves of their t of tears, like the stream whose water has flown away. That means I'm going to weep so much in the presence of Allah and out of love of Allah that they won't have any more tears to shed. Okay. So that's just uh, to warm things up, okay? <laughs> Riyadha. So right from the get-go, this is something that I've mentioned before when we were covering Zuhd. Is that look, we can't fool ourselves either as religious people, as scholars, as leaders of a community, you know, as let's say representatives of Islam, even um, that we're going to say we're going to have all the possessions we want, we're just not going to be attached to it. And this is Zuhd because we did cover this that that is what Zuhd is it is lack of attachment and lack of inclination. But who are we fooling? Sometimes if we look really closely, we might be fooling ourselves. Don't call it zuhd. You know, I like to possess. It's halal. But it's not zuhd. Okay? Uh, I say this because I've seen this here and there. I've said this before as well. That some people might uh, be expected to be seen as zahids. But then when you look at their lives, it's pretty, uh, pretty decent. You know? Decent. When I say decent, like way above average. No, you are a good Muslim who is benefiting from and taking pleasure in the halals of life. Leave it at that. No problem. Here, Imam Ali is making a point that, look, it, you have to practically cut down on things if you really want to be referred to or seen by Allah as such. Okay? <laughs> so, here Ayatollah Jawadi starts opening things up based on the book of Awsaf al-Ashraf of At-Tusi. He says, look, the nafs, sometimes if you don't give it riyadah, if you don't actually practically train it, 
and put it through some hardship that we'll talk about. What happens is, and you just give it whatever it asks for, like a child that you give whatever it wants. No one does that, by the way. No one gives their child whatever the child wants, right? Because why? Because they say it'll spoil the child. It won't, it'll hurt the child in the future. So here he says, look, there has to be some riyada or else without any riyada, without any training, without any saying no to it. It'll either end up being a bahimiya nafs, a nafs of bahimiya. Bahima is the single of Baha'im, singular of Baha'im, cattle. So all they do is graze, eat, sleep, and repeat, you know, that's what they do. So the nafs, if I, t if I give it whatever it wants, it'll, it'll either, either end up as a Bahima type of nafs, or sabu'iya. Lions are referred to as sabu'. Those animals that have claws, those animals that are predators, that tear up their prey. These are referred to as sabu'. And sabu'iya means that um, that a person just cannot control their wrath and anger. To the point that it's as if they are a predator that will tear up their prey. They'll tear up that which will, get, will make them angry. If you don't say no to the nafs, it can reach a point where it's either bahima or sabu' and, and, and suffers from sabu'iya. We don't want that either. So the bahimiya has to do with the shahwa. I do. I, I. I. will chase whatever of food and other things that have to do with shahwa. All right, what would that conclude in? That will conclude in me being a a bahima, or I cannot control my anger. I'm a sabur, so the nafs suffers from saburiya. Or shaytana, he says. Shaytana, being like a shaytan is the result of what? Is the result of radha'il akhlaqiya. A person who doesn't train the nafs to stay away from radha'il akhlaqiya. What is that? That means the bad akhlaqs that are out there. Stinginess, etc. Arrogance, all those things, that some of which we've spoken of before. So a nafs that a person has not given riyadah and has not trained it by saying no to it sometimes is going to suffer from one of these. Because these are the different needs and desires that we have sometimes. And if we're always saying yes to them, that's what we're going to be. And so these uh, stories that we hear of grand like Urafa and scholars who would sometimes see the Barzakhi depiction of people or the Barzakhi personality of people. They will see a pig or a, or a cow or a whatever else it is they see in people is because this person's nafs, if you put on the lens of the barzakh, is no more than that, what, 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 what the cattle are. It's no more than that. Yeah. Because of lack of training. But, he says, if a person trains themselves by saying no every now and then, then what's going to happen is that this nafs will go up to the angels, he says. With riyadah, we have angel, being an angel or like the angels, or having the characteristics of angels. Hmm. So with training, what happens is the nafs learns, adapts to following the orders of the aql amali, the practical intellect they call it, which is that part of the aql and intellect that lets us know what is good and what is not good, tells us to stay away from this and to make sure we do that. 
Aql Nathari, the theoretical mind, the one that does calculations, 2 plus 2 is 4, etc. That's one type of Aql. Another type of Aql, they say, is the one that has to do with the do's and the don'ts. That which Allah has instilled within us of bad and good that we understand. Right? So, when you are training the nafs, you're actually training it to follow that God-given uh, the disposition, which is the Aql Amali. Yeah. So, going back to Imam Ali al-Islam, let's see how the champion trains. You know, like uh, these commercials that they have for uh, champions. This champion eats this breakfast, like, although it's not true, like who eats frosted flakes for breakfast and becomes a champion? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, that's not healthy. So, but let's see how the champion does it, Imam Ali al-Islam. So he says, as I read before, nafsi. What do you train your nafs with? Question. Aruduha bit taqwa. I take I train my nafs with taqwa. Where where do you say yes and no to your nafs? He says wherever taqwa is. So let's talk about this a little bit. I'm gonna read off of what Ayatullah Jawadi says here. He says, We have a duty and responsibility to train the nafs. If the nafs wants a haram from us. Okay, so that's where we're starting. The harams. We don't need to look around. Allah has already identified for us where to say no and where to say yes, the harams. If the nafs wants the haram from us, it is like a horse that we are riding that wants to go the wrong way. What do we do? You pull the reins of the horse. You pull the reins. In other words, you're telling the horse no. You pull the reins of the horse till it comes back on track. If we don't answer positively, don't answer the desires of the nafs, that which the nafs is asking for, yeah. If we don't give it a positive response, slowly it will, slowly it will get used to the hardships, and being patient in the hardship of saying no. All right. This he says is called mubarizibah nafs, fighting the nafs. Opposing the nafs. So that's Imam Ali with the battle on the inside. He says, Aruduha bit taqwa. What about the outside? There's a lot of flashy stuff outside too, Imam Ali. What do you do there? He quotes Imam Ali again in Nahjul Balagha, same, same letter, where Imam Ali says, Ya dunya, u'zubi anni. O dunya, get away from me. So this, of course, is metaphorical. Imam Ali saying to us, telling us as his followers, that this is my dialogue with the dunya. Ya dunya u'azubi. Stay away from me. Is that what? This is not like takalluf, taruf, you know, mujamala as they say in Arabic. No, 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 this is real. He's really letting us know that he's staying away from the dunya. Not that he's going to immerse himself in the dunya and then say, I'm going to take care of myself. No, he stays away from it and keeps it away from its, from himself. This idea of, and I might have said this before, this idea of, oh, that's not, it's not a big deal to stay away from haram by staying away from the haram environments. It is a big deal to be in the middle of all the haram and not do haram. This is the biggest fallacy, the biggest mistake some people can make. No, 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 no. The dunya is there. And I'm saying this, I've heard this from scholars too, and it just makes sense for me personally as well. It's one thing to immerse yourself. Yeah, Imam Ali might be able to, but 
if I'm immersed in haram, trust me, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Very simple. This idea, some people think that the dunya is to explore. Yeah, it's nice, it's cool to go around and you know travel in the dunya and all of that. But no, 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 no. The dunya was not made for us to be able to go and immerse ourselves in every aspect of it and expect to come out alive. Alive, of course, spiritually speaking. No, that's not how the dunya works. The dunya is something, I hate to say it like this, right? But it is something that we are supposed to try to stay away from most of it. Okay? This doesn't mean no vacation. This does not mean uh, no good clothes or other things. I, you know, you know where I, how I look at things, okay? It doesn't mean any of that. But there is a lot out there that we're never, we're never going to experience. Do I have to go out of my way to experience it? No matter what. All it takes is for you to go around a little bit on people's Instagram stories that they're sharing with everybody. And see, that's, you, feel, you get the feeling that some people feel like they have to go everywhere. No, you don't have to go everywhere. But I'm missing out on a lot. This is a story uh, I might have shared with some of you. My mom tells me like 30 years ago, uh, she had an Arab friend. And uh, you know there were some people who would tell her like, you can't go swimming, you know, out in the, you know, in the West, of course. You can't go swimming because there's non-mahrams. Like, when are you going to ever get to go swimming? She, you know what her answer was? Her answer was, Inshallah fil Jannah. <laughs> we'll go swimming in Jannah. Okay, if I can't experience it here, now Alhamdulillah today, there are more uh, uh, you know, halal options out there maybe, I don't know. Well, 30 years ago, they didn't have this option of having to, uh, this opportunity to like, you know, with, within the confines of the boundaries of Islam and the red lines of Islam to be able to go swimming. So this is the answer she gives. This is a very wise answer. She says, Inshallah fil Jannah. In other words, look, I know this is something that I'm going to be missing out on. But look, there's a Jannah that I believe in and all the good stuff is going to be happening there. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to try to facilitate things for our people. Alhamdulillah, today, you know, there are more and more, and more opportunities. No one's saying to look at, the, to be passive and to just say everything in Jannah for us. No, no, that's not the case either. But if it reaches a point where you don't have that option now in life, it's not going to be a deal breaker. We're like, oh my God, what an unfair life, this, that. I have to try to make sure that I experience everything in life, just like everyone else out there. No, Imam Ali, will get to it, is not doing that. Imam Ali says, look, there's a lot of stuff out there I'm just going to stay away from. Now for him, it's maybe more than just the haram, but that's for him. We'll get to the part where he kind of lets us off the hook when it comes to halal versus haram. Where he'll say, look, just keep with the haram. Don't worry about trying to be like me completely. We'll get to that. But look, this is what he writes in his letter. Actually, let me continue. I was reading uh, Ayatollah Jawadi here. Ayatollah Jawadi says that uh, the Imam, when he says, Ya dunya, u'uzubi anni, I'm not interested in experiencing every aspect of you. He says, this is a time, this is in a time where he is in power because this is the letter he's writing to who? Uthman bin Hunayf, his governor. That means that Imam Ali is Khalifa right now. Right? So, Ayatollah Jawadi, he says, this is at the peak of his power, the peak of him having access to everything, not when he was in isolation. Someone might be in isolation and they live a very Zahidane life. Yeah? A life full of zuhd and dis detachment from dunya. But when you're in the middle of all the wealth, all the power, all the fame, it's a little different, he says. And that's where, yeah, it takes a lot of skill to say something like, anni. You know, sometimes we don't understand 
what being a Khalifa is all about. They call they would call him Mansur at Dawaniqi. Why? Dawaniqi means the ones uh, the one who has the Benjamins, the one who has the dinars and dirhams. He's got the money. When you're Khalifa, it's all about being Dawaniqi. Okay, so yeah, sometimes we hear these things, we don't appreciate what they really entail. But anyway, I'm going to read to you a little bit of his letter to Uthman bin Hunayf, just so we understand that, yeah, just because it's in the dunya doesn't mean that I have to be in it too. Not necessarily. Even the halal part, not too much. You don't have to like go deep into it. Spend time on other things so that you can build the jannah that you want. But anyway, he says, If I wished, I could have taken the way leading towards worldly pleasures like pure honey, fine wheat and silk clothes. But it cannot be that my passions lead me and greed me to choosing good meals while in the Hijaz, in Hijaz or in Yamamah. There may be people who have no hope of getting bread or who do not have a full meal. As the ruler of the Muslims, I as Ali ibn Abi Talib, Khalifatul Muslimin, I can't do that. Shall I lie with a satiated belly while around me there may be hungry bellies and thirsty livers? Akbad Harra. This is Ali alayhi salam. But look, he says, let me, let me help you out here. Because look, who are we kidding? This cannot be us. And when you read the whole letter, you're sure that cannot be us. What he says in letter 45, okay? But he does say this to Uthman bin Hunayf right in the beginning of the letter. He says, "Allah wa inna kum la taqdiruna ala dalik, walakin a'inuni bi wara'i wa jtihadin wa iffatin wa sadad." That I know, la taqdirun, you're not going to be able to live like me and do things like me. But at least help me. And look at the wording here. He says, "Help me with what? Help me with wara'." Wara' is like a extreme form of taqwa. You know, to make sure that you are not committing any haram at least. Wajtihad and trying your best and iffah and chastity. Like, come on, you can't be doing stuff that goes against being chaste. Like, there are big sins that have to do with that. Wasadad and trying to be on the right path. Okay, so this is him in regards to the haram. He says, look, that's how much I expect of you to at least make sure that you're taking care of the haram part. Help me there. But Imam Ali is going further than that, training himself. Then he talks about the halal a little bit as well though. This is in Nahj al-Balagha again, but uh, Sermon 183. He says, Talks about how the eyes have to sometimes lack sleep. The bodies sometimes have to be thin. Okay, now back then being thin was different than today. Today, I know people who don't even eat too much, but they're still not thin. It's not their fault. It's just the quality of the food today. So I don't want anyone to like think that, okay, this applies to so-and-so and doesn't apply to so-and-so. This day and age is a little different. But back then, I don't want to mention names of people back then, but there are names of people that you find because they were just not doing anything, right? And just going all out in dunya, yeah, they were not thin. To not be thin back then, it's easier to be thin back then than to be thin today. Okay, <laughs> you have examples of it right here. So he says, though, he says, Look, this is what I'm talking about. Khudu min ajsadikum. 
take from the extra that you're giving to your bodies take from your body right fajudu biha ala anfusikum and spend from it on yourselves meaning your souls this is the halal part now this is extra for a person who if they can pull this off it'll be great that you take from you know going taking care of the body too much when i say taking care of the body meaning uh, making sure that every meal is like perfect every meal is tasty every place you go all that stuff this is all for the body right he says take from the body making sure that you you get the most comfortable sleep i don't know once again this is like no one gets proper sleep these days so once again the context here of what imam ali is saying is very different okay is very different than today but we want to identify what he's trying to say and try to apply that to ourselves today however it applies he says like instead of trying to make sure that you have that most comfortable sleep take away from your body a little bit and invest in your soul judu comes from jawad jud right judu is amr judu to do to be jawad and to be generous towards what the soul so you have to spend from the body like sorry this is the case you have to spend from the body and the comfort of the body sometimes for the soul don't be stingy towards the soul right when it comes to spending from the body he says now look at how Ayatollah Jawadi explains this okay now this is the halal part okay so he's going further he says look a lot of the things that we consume they are not needed by the body but what happens is that when that is dumped into the body the body is now going to be spending more time and spending more energy on trying to convert all of this and break it down and digest it and then eventually it will be excreted right the amount that the parts that not, are not necessary and not there's no nutrition in it says as a result of this and this is important to understand that the soul is tied to the physical body we have to understand this they are not two separate entities yes the soul is lofty we have hadith the soul is from the from above and the body is something that is lowly but these whether we like it or not they are they are stuck to each other and they affect each other they have an impact on each other so he says the body has to always spend time breaking down the extra food and excess food that we have and the food is just an example all the other things that also that are bodily bodily needs and bodily maybe pleasures it says when that's the case and the body all it's doing is just breaking all of this food down breaking all of this down all the time what happens is that the soul is also engaged in this the soul is also engaged and so the job of the soul which was to take us up and elevate us up to the highest levels what does it become it does the job of just moving trash around okay so then he goes on and gives this, gives this example he says it's like an engineer or an architect okay that can draw you the blueprints for like the best city that you could ask for the best building that you could ask for what's this guy stuck with though this engineer this architect is stuck with moving trash around moving trash bags around 
all the time. Because of why? Because of the excess in eating, for example. And he says, this is a dhulm. This is oppress oppressing the soul, actually. You're not letting it do what it needs to do. So that's interesting that what I do with the body, some of it is necessary, some of it is okay, some of it is really excess. Yeah. Imam Ali has reached the point where he's gotten rid of the excess, not only the excess, even the a little bit above average, especially when he is the Hakim, especially when he's the Khalifa, he is like at a bare minimum. Now, it's interesting, in that letter, I think, 45 of Nahj Balagha, if I'm not mistaken, he also explains how some people might say, how is it that Ali is able to fight all the enemies, but he doesn't even eat anything? Yeah, and so he explains there about how the strongest trees are the ones that are in the desert. Yeah, not the green uh, pretty ones that are in the jungle, you know, that kind of thing. So he explains there that, look, don't think that I don't eat, that I'm to be able to maintain this strength of mine, I'm always eating or something. No, as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. All right, so this is in regards to how important training is. Then Ayatollah Jawadi adds to this. He adds this, and I really appreciate this part as well. Um, he says that when we train ourselves physically, what happens? When we train ourselves physically, the body eventually adapts. When we're trying to lift a, a heavy weight, what we do is we go lighter on the weights, we do reps. Eventually, the body is able to develop enough strength to be able to lift heavier weights. That's just how the body works. When we are training ourselves as well, someone's trying to, I don't know, stop smoking or whatever, the first time they want to say no to themselves is going to be harder than the 10th or 20th time, right? So this is just how it works. He says the exact same thing will happen with the wajib and haram and the training there. He says there's one more thing that happens there that, that isn't happening physically. When you're training yourself physically, yes, it becomes easier and easier to lift that weight. Finished. Same thing with putting aside the haram. The tenth time is going to be easier than the first time because your resolve has strengthened at the, by the tenth time that you say no to yourself. Um, and let me open a parenthesis before I forget. Some people, they'll say, teach me how to say no to myself. Habibi, <laughs> what, like, you got to do the work somewhere. Okay, It's like saying, I want to learn, I don't know, let's say how to lose weight. Show me how to lose weight. So, okay, someone identifies, okay, you have this body type. This is where you're going overboard. This is what you need to cut out. This is where the calories need to, you know, decrease a little bit. Carbohydrates versus fats versus proteins, all that stuff. So now you have the actual, you, you actually have uh, the plan to lose weight, for example. Then you're like, okay, but I don't know where to, you told me that I have to do this exercise. Where am, I, where am I supposed to do this exercise? Well, this gym, that gym has this. This is the, the, the uh, um, uh, what do they call it? The machine that you need, etc. All right, so now I've got the meal plan. I've got the exercise plan. I've got everything. Teach me how to run on the treadmill. Okay, like, let me, are, are you serious? Okay, well, let me just show you how to use this machine here. No, no, no. I want you to actually take my legs and run for me. Okay, like, dude, let's just, uh, call it uh, a date and I'm not interested in being your trainer anymore. Like, what do you mean? Like, the, uh, you have to do the work yourself at some point. Okay? Teach me, because I've, I've gotten this question before. Teach me how to say no to the nafs. Like, bro, just sit down, 
think about the Akhirah a little bit, read some Quran, understand that you have an eternity before you, it's getting late, you got to do something about this wajib and haram. Yeah, I can, I can give you some tips and pointers, and it's not just me giving them to you, if you had thought of it yourself, maybe you could have also figured it out, like stay away from you know, people who will push you in a haram direction, haram environments, this, that, like, you know, don't watch anything on TV, things like that, okay, like, that kind of thing, but like, anything more than that, like, I can't refrain from haram for you. Teach us how to say no. It, you have to have a strong resolve in you, and that is the result of thinking, reflecting, seeing how much respect you have for yourself, things like that. Yeah, some people, they reach the point where they're like, you know what, I'm gonna like, do this or do that physically for myself. Why? Because they're making fun of me so much, I've reached the point where I don't want to take it anymore. And so like this person has that strong resolve and then they, they make the move from there and they, and they actually you know re reach those results that they're after. So I just want to say this, that look, it'll reach a point where we have to do the work. This idea of teach us how to say no to the nafs. It just requires a strong resolve. That's all it is. A big, strong intention, a big, strong decision that one makes for their life. Just like all the other big decisions we make in life to make a change, make a difference in our lives. Alright, having said that now, Ayatollah Jawadi says, look, in addition to the fact that it'll become easier and easier as you go against the nafs, there's another thing that comes to your aid as well after you prove yourself to Allah, of course, to an extent. What is that? Well, he says, in addition to it repeating you repeating it so it becomes a little more easy for you. A ma'rifah will also be bestowed upon you. So it's as if God is going to start helping you a little bit more. Man, you know, some things just start clicking in place after 15 years of you hearing them. One of our akhlaq teachers that we would go to, he would, and he was very strict about wajib and haram. Anything you would tell him, wajib and haram, wajib and haram. But like I remember once or twice where he said, look, if you are really trying wajib and haram, but you're hitting the ground every time, but you're still trying, you're getting back up again, eventually Allah will take your hand. Like this, something special will happen versus that other person that isn't even going to try the first time, second time, third time, they're just going to lay down on the ground. Here, one might be able to conclude that this Allah taking your hand when you're trying at least, you say no, no, but then it turns into a yes, but then you get back up and you say no, 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 until it turns into a yes again. Apparently Allah will do something here. He says that, Ayatollah Jawadi says, a ma'rifah also slowly one will develop within them. That the ugliness of that act will become part of them, part of their ruh, that they're not going to be as interested. Of course, it'll never reach a point or barely ever reach a point where you're totally disgusted of gunah and sin. I'll say that right now, okay? And it's not, it's not good if Allah lets it happen like that because then there's no test for us in this life. No, we want to grow. So there will always be challenges, okay? But he says, Ayatollah Jawadi, he says, as for spiritual matters, not just the physical ones, if a person continues the wajibat, to a point where it slowly becomes second nature for them. And it's not as hard anymore. Your or refrains from haram repetitively until it becomes a second nature, becomes second nature for them and something normal for them. He says another thing will start coming into the picture, and that is 
becoming an actual arif. Now, not arif meaning mystic, but arif meaning having some form of ma'rifah towards these things that Allah has of wajib and haram. So he's actually praising a person who re refrains from haram and repeats it till it becomes second nature. Take this and compare it to what, I don't know about you all, but this is something that I've heard again and again growing up. No, no, no. You should never let it become second nature. If it becomes something that's repeated, becoming repetitive for you, it's not, it has no value anymore. When you pray, it should always be fresh for you. That is true, but it doesn't undermine, under, yeah, under, under, undermine this idea of me, now I'm doing namaz, it's easy for me, so that's something bad now. And doesn't have value. No, it has value. As a matter of fact, it should reach that point where it becomes easier for me. Then if I want to add some more hardship, there's mustahabat I can add. Why are we, I don't know where, I don't know where we're getting this idea from. That yeah, the fact that you stay away from haram and it's become second nature for you now, it doesn't count anymore. It doesn't have that much value. No, 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 no. That's not what the greats say. That's what you say. And the reason why I'm saying it like this is because I've personally, you know, I've heard this growing up. No, it has value. As a matter of fact, according to Ayatollah Jawadi, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to become second nature. That when I see haram, oof, I'm, I'm beyond these things, inshallah. It's not a big deal for me anymore. Then I can focus on fighting myself, waking up 15-20 minutes, minutes before Salat al-Fajr for maybe two rakah of Salat al-Layl. Or fighting myself to wake up before sunrise and to be able to do my Salat al-Fajr. Or fighting myself so that I sleep on time. Although everyone else is playing Qad at 1 a.m. And sleeping so that I can wake up. At least get four hours, five hours of sleep in me so that I can wake up for Fajr. But if I'm if that's if I'm still struggling with haram, then this is going to be an extra struggle for me, maybe you know, things like that. Anyway, I really really appreciate what he's saying here, and I'm seeing this after 30 years, 20 years of, you know, reading different things and hearing different people. Thank you, Ayatollah Jawadi. All right, so he says, if a person over years of you know training becomes a person of fadila of merits and virtue. Well, what does that mean? He says, by doing the wajibat and refraining from the harams. Slowly, there will be a sweetness for them. So look, he said years, okay? It might even be decades. We don't know. That's in Allah's hands. Leave it to Allah. You do what you gotta do. Allah will do what He has to do at the right time. If He gives it to us too soon, it might hurt us. That's why he hasn't asked us when to give us these things. But look, Ayatullah Jawadi says it'll reach a point where it starts becoming sweet for the individual. And haram will become something that they don't like anymore. If I'm 20 right now, I can't expect this. If I'm 30, 40, I might not be able to expect this. But inshallah, sometime. And even if it never happens, Allah will take care of me after I pass away. All right. And he says that's why the Holy Prophet Sallallahu he would say when it was time for namaz, he would say, Arihna ya Bilal. O Bilal, relieve me, relieve us uh, when it's salat time. Do the adhan so that we can go for that which you know is rawh and rayhan for us, is ease for us, is pleasurable for us. That's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All right.
And so he says, this is why also, he just gives some examples and then we'll end. He says, this is why the Bedouins of the time of the Prophet who were simple-minded or who were struggling with the wajib and haram, for them, when they would give in the way of Allah, for them it was maghram, it was loss. وَمِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مَا يُنْفِقُ مَغْرَمًا There are of the Bedouins who, and Arab might not here necessarily mean desert dwellers, it might just mean those who don't have a deep understanding of the religion. But anyway, that's a tafsiri point we'll have to look into. I don't want to give a definitive opinion here. It says, of the Bedouins, there are some who they take that which they give in the way of Allah, they take it as a loss. Right? But the Quran, and that's verse uh, Surah Tawbah, verse 98. But another part of the Quran, Surah Baqarah, verse 276, tells us, Wa sadaqa, and giving in the way of Allah. As a matter of fact, no, no, it's something that is going to bring about and, and result in riba. Riba means when something multiplies and grows. Now, there, of course, there's haram riba. We, we're used to, you know, when we hear the word riba, we think of the haram version. There's a halal version that happens in the akhirah. The sadaqat, they grow. Allah grows them. Yurbi as sadaqat. Babi if'al. So when something grows, yes, sometimes something grows, sometimes you, you make something grow. Yurbi. Yuf'ilu. Okay? So, yurbi, Allah yurbi sadaqat. He makes the sadaqat grow. So wait a minute. Is it growing? Is it loss? Or is it profit and gain? Which one is it? Well, if you look at it from Allah's lens, it's profit and gain. But if you look at it from their perspective, these people who are at that beginning stage, then they'll see it as a loss. And I'm not going to call those Bedouins out. I personally am still like that, you know? So we have a, I have a long way to go. Right, so that's for giving. What about other ibadat? He gives the example of Sharaful Mar, Salatuhu Bilayl, that the honor, the dignity of a person is their Salat in the middle of the night. This is a Sharaf for them. Yeah. But another person will see that it's lack of sleep and hardship and all of that. So, Inshallah, we can reach that point. We reach that point where uh, these things slowly, as a result of us doing our part and taking those initial bitter, hard steps of saying no to the nafs and training the nafs, slowly a sweetness comes in. 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, God knows. However, better a job we do, maybe, you know, the sooner, hopefully, we can benefit from that. And so he ends with this example, going back to the training and kind of saying no. He gives also an example, of course this is Imam Ali salam. Someone like him can do this. Um, he says that the hukama have said, اِخْتَرْ مِنَ الثِّيَابِ مَا يَخْدِمُكَ لَا مَا تَخْدِمُهُ This is a perspective hadith, I will say. Gives you perspective on life and all the pleasures of life that choose from libas, from clothing, that which serves you, not that which you serve it. He gives the example of those clothing, the, the clothing that we have, the outfits that we have that we're always careful about, to, that it doesn't get stained, it doesn't get ruined. In the end, it's am I serving it or is it serving me? It's serving me, it's, it's not serving me, I'm serving it. He says, choose that clothing that is going to serve you. You wear it, and then you eventually maybe give it away or sell it. There's this interesting hadith that one of these akhlaq teachers read once, that Imam Sajjad he would 
when he would buy clothing, he would wear it. You know, sometimes we, bear, we, wear it, we buy that outfit, we put it in the closet for that day, that special jashan that never comes actually, <laughs> that we never wear because we like it so much, right? It says Imam Sajjad would wear it and then he would sell it or give it away. Um, not, not wear it once, of course. No, he would wear it, he would use it. So this clothing is serving him. He's not serving the clothing. It's serving him. But th once again, contexts are different, different situations are different. Imam Ali's time is different. They called out Imam Sadiq You've heard this. They called Imam Sadiq out for you know, dressing a little better than Imam Ali's time. He's like, listen, Imam Ali's time, there wasn't as much wealth amongst the Muslims as there is today. I'm not going to be lavish, but I'm not going to wear something torn up either. Imam Sadiq is like kind of telling those Sufis that were approaching him and calling him out. Yeah, but in the end, this is the last line here that Ayatollah Jawadi says. He says, what we have to be careful about is that we are running after illusions okay, of pleasure. And we are using real, real, uh, real life, our real life to bring about illusional pleasures for ourselves. He says that's what we have to be careful about. I think this line sums it all up. That the pleasures of this life, of course, we all know to an extent they're seen as an illusion, right? We are spending something real, which is our life. For what? For something that is an illusion. No, that's not what I'm going to do, he says. Imam Ali is not going to do. And us, as his followers, to a lower extent, of course, we're going to be careful. This real life that we have is not going to be spent for illusions. And even if we do spend it for those things, it's because we are material beings. We need the leisure. We need the pleasure. We need all of that. The least of it is going to be that it's going to be in the halal, in the realm of the halal of Allah. We're not going to pay a real price for an illusional pleasure. Let me see here. Yes. And he ends with that. And so that is the entire chapter on um, al-riyada and training uh, the nafs. So yes, we've covered zuhd. There might be some who feel like, okay, I'm going to have zuhd means I'm not going to have inclination, but I'm going to have everything. No, 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 no. No, no. The imams teach us that no, there will be times and a lot of times that we're going to have to say no to the nafs and train it as well. And that's the only way it will grow, at least with the harams. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.